Hello, and welcome to the Strange Matters Podcast. Here at Strange Matters, we discuss everything that is bizarre, mysterious, and unexplained. I am Sean, and I will be the host for this discussion. In this episode, I will be talking about a particularly brutal and notorious serial killer. Now, this man was infamous in his time for committing terrible acts of violence. But what makes this case even more disturbing is that whoever committed these crimes is still unknown to this day. For this episode, I will be talking about the original Night Stalker. The original Night Stalker, also known as the Diamond Knot Killer and the Golden State Killer, is an unidentified serial killer and rapist who murdered at least 10 people in Southern California in the years spanning from 1979 to 1986. Now, a few years before these murders took place, there was another criminal known as the East Area Rapist, centered around East Sacramento where he sexually assaulted at least 50 women between 1976 and 79. However, in 2001, DNA testing proved that there was a link between the Northern California rapes to the murders in Southern California, proving that the East Area Rapist and the Night Stalker were one and the same. Despite carrying out so many crimes over a pretty long period of time, the East Area Rapist and original Night Stalker was never apprehended. And the few suspects linked to these crimes that the police came up with have all been cleared through either DNA analysis or other investigative means. The original Night Stalker case was actually the motivating factor in the passing of legislation leading to the establishment of California's DNA database, which authorizes the collection of DNA of all accused and convicted felons in California. Now, if there's any good that can come out of this case is that this database has led to the capture of many criminals, but unfortunately, the original Night Stalker still remains a mystery. The crimes attributed to this man spanned in total from 1976 to 1986 and affected communities in both Northern and Southern California. There were three basic phases of the perpetrator's transformation from serial rapist to serial killer. The first took place in Sacramento and Stockton, where the East Area Rapist committed 31 rapes and at least two murders and two further rapes in Stockton, California, between June 1976 and April 1978. In the next phase, he moved to Contra Costa County to commit at least 13 rapes between 1978 and 1979. Two additional rapes were committed in San Jose in late 78, which are also attributed to him. Finally, he moved to Southern California, where he would become known as the original Night Stalker and commit six to ten murders. Now, the Night Stalker's modus operandi primarily targeted middle-class to upper-middle-class neighborhoods with homes on or near cul-de-sacs or homes adjacent to vacant fields, schools, parks, or creeks. Several of the neighborhoods targeted by the suspect had home for sales or homes recently sold. He is known to have posed as a realtor, building inspector, and prospective home buyer in order to gain access to people's homes. Another disturbing and scary aspect of this criminal is that on numerous occasions he is known to have broken into the houses beforehand and planned his attack. He was also known on several occasions to even unload the guns of his victims so that they would have no way to protect themselves. During one attack, a couple was looking to sell their home and they believed that one of the men that came to see the house was this criminal and that during his tour of the house, he managed to loosen a screen which would allow him easy access later on when he carried out his attack. The fact that he was so methodical and carried out his plans without much trouble just shows how terrifying this man was. The targeting of couples was typically in the middle of the night, where he would break in and wake up the occupants, threatening them with a handgun. His victims were often bound with ligatures that the criminal brought to the crime scene. The original Night Stalker would also usually call and leave eerie messages on the victim's answering machine. 
Now to give some background and history on this man, we're going to begin at the start of his tax in 1976. On June 18th of that year, the East Area Rapist first strike occurred at 4 a.m. on Paseo Drive in Rancho Cordova, California. Within just six months of this initial crime, seven additional attacks were committed by the same man. As rumors of the rape spread through the affected communities, the Sacramento Sheriff's Department asked the news media not to report on the rapes in order to give them time to catch the rapist. By April of 1977, over 15 attacks by the ski mask rapist occurred, and the Sacramento Sheriff's Department was no closer to catching him than they were after the first rape. The news reports always made mention of the rapist M.O. of attacking women while they were alone. But that all changed on April 2nd of 1977, when the East Area rapist attacked his first couple. This would not be a one-time thing, as he would go on to attack many more couples later on instead of sticking solely to attacking lone females. When men were present during his attacks, he often had the man tied up in another room. During several break-ins, the East Air Rapist would carry out a strange act where he would have the men lay down and tied up before putting a stack of plates or other dishes on top of him. He would then threaten that if they made any noise, and if he heard the plates rattle at all, he would come back and kill him. And if the bound man tried to move at all, it would cause the dishes to fall over and give the rapist an alarm. After the man was tied up, he would then carry out his sexual assault on the female. He would also roam the house looking for smaller personal objects he could take with him. He seemed to really enjoy toying with his victims, just roaming the hallways and, and making noises, so his victims never knew if he was coming back or if he had left. So obviously as his attacks just kept on coming and coming, the citizens of Sacramento were in a panic. The sheriff patrols increased drastically in this area, and local neighborhood watches were organized in an effort to try and stop these crimes. A dentist in the area personally put up a $10,000 reward for anyone who could finally identify or capture the elusive East Area Rapist. But despite all the police presence and the high alert put out on him, in May 1977, the East Area Rapist struck again for the 24th time. At this point, he was really showing that he couldn't be stopped. He must have absolutely believed that he would not be caught and he would be a step ahead of the police force the entire time. And if that point was not clear enough, one of his break-in victims lived just a block away from the office of the dentist who had put up that $10,000 reward and organized the patrols. Another disturbing story about the East Area Rapist was that during a climax of his attacks, there was a large town hall type meeting called by the police task force to give the public more information on the rapist and ways to protect themselves. Now at this meeting, a man stood up and basically berated the men who had allowed the rapist to tie them down and rape their women. He said that any real man would have stopped the intruder and protected their ladies. And the disturbing event that followed, just a short while after this boastful claim, the East Area Rapist broke into this man's house, woke the couple, tied up the man, and raped his wife. Now many have speculated that the East Area Rapist must have attended this meeting, but this is not known for sure. It is possible that he heard through secondhand sources of this man's claims and stalked him down, or it could just be a complete coincidence. Whatever the case, this story just adds to the notoriety of the East Area Rapist. On February 2nd of 1978, Brian and Katie Maggior were walking their dog on a quiet evening in Rancho Cordova. They were then confronted by an armed assailant with a gun. The couple then ran off, but Brian was chased into a nearby backyard and shot in the chest, killing him. Katie was then shot in the head of a gate leading to the front of a house. There were no apparent motive for this senseless double homicide, and it initially seemed unrelated to the East Area Rapist. Until now, the criminal had never killed any of his victims, although he had threatened to do that many times. However, looking back, many investigators believe that these murders could have very well likely been done by the East Area Rapist. 
Now we will move into the second part of the history where it becomes even more brutal. On December 30th, 1979, another couple were attacked, but this crime was a step up in escalation. Robert Offerman and Deborah Alexandra Manning were both found shot to death in their home. Examination of the crime scene led investigators to believe that Offerman had managed to loosen his bindings and lunge at the intruder, causing the killer to shoot and murder him. Deborah was then shot and killed also, while still tied up. Neighbors who heard the gunshots thought that they were just firecrackers. This crime is commonly accepted as the first in a series of murders that would be attributed to the killer, now dubbed the original Night Stalker, also known as the ONS. Also, another pretty strange fact, the killer had brought his white German Shepherd dog along with him to this crime and fed him leftovers from the Offerman's fridge. This dog was missing one of its toes, and the distinctive paw prints it left behind helped the police link several of these crimes together. After these murders, the ONS would go on to kill several more people. Lyman Smith, who was an attorney and soon-to-be judge, and his wife Charlene were murdered in their home in 1980. The wrists and ankles were tied with a drapery cord, and then the killer took a log from the fireplace and bludgeoned the couple to death. There were several sightings of a prowler in that neighborhood in the weeks leading up to the attack, showing that the ONS was well aware of his surroundings and who to target. Again, the killing of the future judge shows his disdain for law enforcement. His crime continued, and later that year, the Harrington couple was also found bludgeoned to death in their home. The next year, the couple of Sherry Domingo and Gregory Sanchez were found killed in their house. A tool had been taken from their shed and is believed to be the murder weapon. Sanchez was also shot and did not show signs of being tied up. This led the police to think that Sanchez tried to attack the stalker rather than allow himself to be bound. As with the earlier Offerman murders, the neighbors did not report the sound of a gunshot, and once again the killer brought his dog along for this crime. Bizarrely following this attack, there were no further crimes following the established MO of this killer for quite some time. Some believe that the reign of terror was finally over, or that the killer had simply moved away. However, five years later, the ONS would strike again by raping and killing young Janelle Cruz. The teenager was home alone at the time, and the suspected murder weapon was a pipe wrench taken from the home. And this would be the last and final murder attributed to the East Area Rapist and original Night Stalker. The last known contact made by this murderer was a phone call made to one of his victims in the early 90s. A DNA match linking the so-called original Night Stalker murders with the East Area Rapist attacks was made in 2001, making him the most prolific serial offender in California history. Also, there is a high likelihood that the East Area Rapist and original Night Stalker is also the same criminal known as the Vesalia Ransacker, an unidentified serial burglar who operated in California in the mid-1970s. In most of his crimes, the ransacker would break into a single-family home and tear apart the interior while stealing only small items. The ransacker is responsible for murdering Claude Snelling and attempting to kidnap his daughter on September 11, 1975. The identity of this serial burglar remains a mystery, but many believe that after the murder of Snelling that he would soon escalate his crimes from mere burglary to sexual assaults. Now obviously not much is known about the original Night Stalker. However, experts did put together a psychological profile that would fit the likely culprit. He's a white male with an emotional age of 26 to 30 at the time the crimes were committed. Now, he likely began as a voyeur in his adolescence, which would make some sense from his progression from voyeur to robber to rapist to finally killer that he would continually escalate. He supposedly dressed well and would not stand out in upscale neighborhoods. He would appear harmless. 
who's also intelligent and articulate, self-assured and confident in his abilities, which is proven by his taunting of his victims and the police in some of his more daring attacks. He's believed to have hated women for real or perceived wrongs, and it is almost universally believed that he would continue committing these violent crimes until incapacitated in some way, whether that be prison, death, or some other intervention. This must mean that the ONS either died, moved, or changed his MO, or was arrested for some other crime but was never linked back to these murders. In my opinion, I think that he did have to die somewhere. I don't think that he simply walked away from these crimes and stopped altogether. If he had moved, I'm sure that we would have seen this pattern take place wherever his new residence happened to be. I've seen some people who think that he might have been shot or killed in some attempted robber or break and attack, but I figure with all the attention that this case was getting, they probably were testing every criminal who died in this way. My belief is that the original Night Stalker probably died in some mundane way, either medical or car accident, and that's why his attacks suddenly stopped. And in this way, his DNA would not be put into the database, so he would never be linked to these crimes. Now, it is possible, though, that the man who committed these crimes is still alive today. This is a very disturbing thought. The Onus is one of the worst and most prolific unsolved serial killer and rapist case in U.S. history. Now, I don't like to glorify these type of criminals, but if there were some type of pantheon of serial criminals, I believe that the original Night Stalker would be at a top tier. This guy committed dozens and dozens of crimes over years, taunting the police and his victims, and got away with it completely. And to this day, he may very well have his freedom, while hundreds of people are left impacted by his crimes. To me, this is one of the most disturbing and scary cases I've really looked into. During my time here at Strange Matters, I have looked into a number of serial killers and brutal crimes. Most of them didn't really scare me too much because I didn't fit whatever victim profile. Now, a lot of serial killers have a very specific target in mind, and a lot of their victims can be grouped into categories such as lone pretty females, prostitutes, drug addicts, homosexuals. And since I don't fit into any of those categories, I never really felt any fear of being attacked by some kind of serial killer. However, the original Night Stalker is a criminal who, though he did target females, would break into the home of any couple, and he has shown that he would kill both men and women which is why the original Night Stalker is absolutely the most terrifying criminal I have researched into so far. I really do hope that one day some type of evidence will be found so the police will be able to solve this case and the families will finally have justice. But until that happens, the original Night Stalker case remains a complete mystery. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Strange Matters podcast. If you would like to discuss the case of the original Night Stalker further, you can email us at strangematterspodcast at gmail.com. You can also comment, download, and listen to all of our episodes at our website, strangematterspodcast.com. Finally, we ask if you are listening to us on iTunes and enjoy the show, please take the time to leave us a rating and review. It means a lot to us. Until the next episode of the Strange Matters Podcast, take it easy, everyone. <laughs>